group of 13 down to 12 with missing Ralph Street. Tim Robertson, goodness me, what has happened to Tim? Because he is 44 seconds. Oh my God. Magnus Pivet. Oh, oh, oh. I think he read the course wrong there. And ran the wrong direction. And it was some minutes waste there. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Orienteering Pod. Uh, it's a Friday night and we are sitting here recording rather than going out on the town. Although maybe Tim's going out on the town later, he's looking very nice in his shirt. Um, but what are we going to talk about today, boys? Uh, anything interesting happened uh, to any of us in the last, I don't know, two weeks? Magnus, got any ideas? I don't really think so. I heard you ran some races in Czech Republic. Don't know if it was anything worth mentioning. Maybe. I don't know. Tim, any ideas? Um, I could probably skip over all of that. Nah. Right. We have a new crown <laughs> World Cup champion. Podcast exclusive. Yeah. How does it feel, Ralph? I still can't believe it. It's insane. Like... I don't win. Other people win. So, yeah. I had like goosebumps for 30 minutes straight watching it. I think I was more excited coming sixth and seeing you win than when I came second myself. Really? It was a very cool day. Because I was going to ask you about this. Was like, how did you, because you've got two walk medals, right? And yeah. some other pretty reasonable results. Yeah, a few as a junior, but those two as a senior are the two big results. And how did you how did you feel about it? Quite different between both of them, actually. Like the one in Riga was pretty exciting. Obviously, it was my first world champs medal, so it felt like quite a big deal. But the the second one in Czech Republic, I was having a really terrible build up to the competition and didn't think that I was in the same form. So to get that medal was a bit of a shock, uh, and almost felt even more exciting than the one in Riga, where I knew I was in good shape. So. Pretty mixed feelings for all of them, but yeah, the first time's pretty cool. But you thought like, when you when you're in Riga before you'd won a a world champs medal, you thought that you had the possibility to do it. Yeah, I thought I had an outside chance of getting on the podium. I don't know about the medals. There's a bit of a step up from sixth, fourth, and fifth to third, second, and first. I remember warming up with you for that race on the qualification. And you are so nervous for not being fit enough to even make it to the finals. Maybe you underplayed in, a little in bit. In Riga? Yeah. <laughs> That's such a classic, like Tim. Yeah. yeah. Bit of a sandbagger. You know that expression, Magnus? I was about to ask. I've no idea. Please <laughs> take, take don't a guess. Come with any new word. Sandbagger? I don't even want to guess. Do, do you know what a sandbag is? A bag full of sand? That's very good. Correct. <laughs> So if you're a sandbagger, you're always like saying things to kind of like weigh you down. So, oh yeah, not in very good shape. Oh, I have been really injured. Yeah, I don't feel so good. Like didn't sleep so well. So it's like you you come across with lots of excuses for why you're not really running running so well or why you can't run well. Before you've even started. Not yeah, afterwards, nice. right? Can you sandbag after a race? No, I think I think it's poor form to be like afterwards like. Yeah. That's just an excuse, not yeah. a not a sandbag. Yeah. I'm trying to think if we have any Danish expressions similar. 
can't really think of any. You guys but are anyway, just always positive the whole time. Yeah, I guess I was way less nervous than Tim. I didn't say and it. You must have some sort of expression for that, though. I've got quite a fun game with Emma where I do literal translations of sayings in English or Swedish across the two different languages. I know Ralph does something similar, but there's there's almost always a saying in either Swedish or English that's got the same meaning, but a totally different way of saying it. That's quite fun. Remember the summer house this uh, summer, you said a thousand thank you like a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, that's one it's of my go-tos. Like a Swedish expression you are using in English. I think you and Henry both do that too, don't you, Ralph? Yeah, we have a lot of fun. But just between us, I think the Norwegians have no real idea what's going on. No. Yeah, even like when you won your World Cup, you said Bosch in the uh, post-race interview. Yeah. I think not like another word for me to learn. Um, so the story behind that is there's this guy, there's this British man who orders like takeaway food, particularly Chinese takeaway food, and he orders like insane amounts of it and then he says sort of bosh at the end and he's some i don't think he's a tiktok influencer sensation basically and um you know the guys were really excited about him so they were like if you get interviewed you have to you have to try and fit this into the interview at some point so i won that as well yeah i guess so it's not really in the dictionary i suppose uh no no it's i mean it's just it doesn't i don't think it means I think it's like a cartoon sound effect almost. I'm annoyed I don't have it on the uh, on the soundboard to play. Something to fix for next time. And you posted be our new trumpet. You posted the world record for highest high jump on your Instagram, and that even had Bosch in the caption. It's like Bosch all over. Even the comment <laughs> section had like Bosch in it. And now this episode, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone was absolutely going nuts, and it's fun to. I mean, I haven't, you know. When you say when you when good things happen, you got to celebrate them. So I thought it would be fun to jump on the podium. Basically, I might never get the chance again. That's the scary thing. That was definitely one of the best podium pictures I've ever seen. When you were Thank a you. meter and a half off the ground, <laughs> that's how you should celebrate. They sh- they should let me win more often, just so I can do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I even I even tried outside to see if I could do a jump like that. I think it's pretty impressive. You really you went that high, like. It's not very typical for a long distance runner, I guess, to, but maybe you have to be a sprint specialist to have that amount of bounce in your legs. I may be. Just in the form of his life. I don't know. Insane. I, yeah, I still, honestly, still can't believe it. But I mean, I mean, it wasn't even like the best, it's not even the best race I've ever had, I guess. So, um, between, had a good day. Between the World Cup and the World Champs, it was like two or three weeks. Did you do something in particular in that period? that um was a layup for yes. this one basically for those who don't know norway sort of shuts down in july so no one really does any work so even though i was in the office everything was quite relaxed and then i was back in london my brother got married so that was a a nice uh nice experience be it, be it his wedding see lots of happy him very happy and the family very happy so maybe i was just in like a really good place to perform you know happiness around around my life and then you can focus on the orienteering getting hammered that night uh no because i was like i'm racing i've got to be serious but my brother he did buy me one 63 shot which was powerful but no i was i was on my best behavior 
partially best behavior. So coming into the World Cup, we say clear and happy mind, maybe did something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Did you do any big preparations, like geeking maps or like you don't really seem like the guy who is doing a lot of sprint training, maybe like three or four times a year? Um, got to compensate somehow. Yeah, I mean, I I was really, I was surprised with myself that I was actually really motivated for this World Cup. So yeah, we, as a team, we made the map and I put quite a bit of time into it. Um, so I think that, you know, that probably did pay off in some places. Um, but yeah, not done a lot, didn't do a lot of sprint training. Did one session in Czech um, and one session in Britain, but but that's it. Otherwise I haven't sprinted since, uh, well, April. It seemed like there were a couple of places where it was like different levels you have to navigate. Like some weird place also where it was like four bridges or something you can you could run under it. A lot of people having trouble there, small castle or something. Yeah, it was like gardens to a monastery or a cinema or or something. But yeah, I mean, it's going to sound really like arrogant, but I'm not really sure like why everyone else had so much trouble in that bit. I had a bit of a root choice mistake there because we had over geeked the area and I thought a gate was going to be open that wasn't open in reality. So did I you hit think it down. Like, did you think that the gate like was always open or it, it was just like, oh, the organizers will definitely open that? I just assumed it would be opened by the organizers. So pretty dumb move uh, okay. running without double checking the map. Luckily for the route choice to the men's control, it didn't matter and you could continue through. And then I knew not to go back that way to the, was it 14th? But I think a lot of the women with the control being in that alleyway were losing quite a lot of time by running down there. You could almost see which teams had prepared with the map with that gap open. There were quite a few making the um, exact same mistake. Yeah, Horvath Eidsmo put out a video of him like inside the shopping centre. Yeah, that was great. So, yeah. But I mean, it was uh, surprising. I think a lot of people, a lot of people seem to have trouble there. I think it's nice when the organisers know that all of the teams are going to spend a lot of time preparing on a specific area like that. And then they just make a couple of small changes and can catch a lot of people out. Yeah. Do you think um, this, like the the way they're mapping the multi-level makes it difficult? Well, I wondered if, because just behind the control, there was a small cafe that wasn't mapped as pink. Yeah. I was wondering whether technically that should have been mapped pink and it would have been quite obvious then that there was no way through there. But apart from that, no, I think I've done enough training now on the multi-level to understand the new symbol set. But isn't the symbols changing quite a bit, like recently? How you're supposed to map them? Yeah, maybe. I haven't followed that closely. But I also do a lot of training on old maps that haven't been updated to the new symbol set. So that can be a bit tricky sometimes as well. It really seemed like in that sprint, it wasn't really like there was a lot of people missing up route choices. It was more about like, you just didn't have to to fuck up really in some of these areas. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the routes were very similar. Despite the second control, maybe you have an opinion on that. How yeah, you... I just didn't see any other way. So I saw left, went for left. Turns out there was a much better option to the right. Did you? Because um, what I thought was unusual was that from the start you could actually see quite a lot of people running. Like you could see where the, the first control seemed to be, and then you could see people coming out and obviously going towards the second control. Did you see yeah, anyone well, there, Tim? That was quite strange. I actually watched your start, 
So I saw you go in and out. And then I had Martin Regborn ahead of me who mispunched. He punched the women's control. Yeah. So he came in and out of that area really quickly compared to you. Oh. And I was thinking running out of the start triangle, okay, i got to be really careful here on this first control because Ralph's obviously lost some time <laughs> and Martin's got it really clean. And then I picked up my map and saw like the easiest first control ever. And then this crazy long route choice to number two and was like, ah, shit, this is what, I, what isn't what I was expecting. And that kind of threw me off guard a little bit. So it's just... unusual. I, like, I don't think I've ever, ever seen anything where you could get any info at all. No, no. Before. And then we also drove, as we entered quarantine, we drove up the start shoot. So that was quite unique as well. Yeah. yeah. How was the feeling for you, Rob, during the, the course? Like, did you have any sense of this was like the race? Like you won by 14 no. seconds. So you didn't really have a feeling of this one of my best ever sprint races. Mm, honestly, no. Like I got followed by the camera dude, like in the, like the first, the second control and in the castle bit. But then they didn't really seem very interested in me But by the time I was in the gardens. So I was a bit like, oh, well, might not be leading or, you know, might not be in the fight. And when I was running at the end, I was like, oh, you know, this is starting to get tired and I don't feel like I'm could I should I feel like I should be running faster. And then, yeah, I got into the finish and could kind of hear that the speaker was like excited and all my teammates were like cheering at me. But I was like, oh, this is, they're just being lovely teammates and shouting me in. And so it was only when I feel like crossed the finish line, that I sort of heard like, oh, beats Gustav by 14 seconds. I was like, well, like what, what on earth is going on? And looked back and saw the big screen. And uh, yeah, so it was like in green. So I was like, oh, wow, like this is, this is going to be like a really good result. Yeah, for you, uh, one of the yeah, late understood. starters. Yeah, well, that was, I was like, what, what on earth am I doing being like at the back of this start list? Like surely there are more better people than I am as well. I just find it quite interesting. You win by 14 seconds and this is how you feel during. Like, no, I have no idea of how well it's actually going. I don't know. I mean, to Tim, do you uh, do you think you can feel when it's a good sprint race or not? I mean, you you can feel when you've made no technical mistakes, but you you never really know if all of the route choices that you've taken have been the fastest. Um, sometimes you get a feeling that you've taken a bad one, but I've even had that feeling when the route choice has actually been okay. So I've also been trying to work with uh, running hard all the way to the finish because you never know until then. And even if the arena doesn't sound very excited about the fact that you're coming into the finish, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily having a terrible race. That's the hardest question, I think, to answer. When the interviewers like grab you straight after you finished, stuff the mic in your face and like tell us how your race was. And you're like, I have no idea. Like I think like I didn't make any terrible mistakes, but you might have got a route choice wrong by like two minutes or something. Or probably not, but I could imagine it's hard not to sound arrogant but you're just like telling what you feel it's not like you're trying to stand back or anything you're so pleased with yourself i often find with wet sprints that it's hard to get a feeling that you've run really fast and it was starting to rain by the end of our race there so maybe, maybe that that's maybe that's leads the into difference it a little then. bit as well often for me it doesn't feel like i've left everything out there on the course because it's been hard to get up to top speed around some of the corners yeah tim how was your feeling doing the race it was Maybe. pretty tough for me. Um, I was trying to work really hard on all of the running sections because I felt like that was where I would be bleeding time. But 
I had a good race apart from that one route choice mistake that we spoke about to the second control. And yeah, for me to be on the podium was pretty unreal, actually. You as my coach know how much I've been training in the last few months and it definitely hasn't been what I'm aiming to do. So I was really excited to stand up there next to Ralph. Yeah, like in a positive way, I was like quite surprised you you managed to get top six, especially after seeing your first split after the second leg where you lost like 15, 20 seconds. So you almost kept up with Ralph from there to the finish. Yeah, I should just learn to run the right route choices next time. That's the scary yes. thought, you know, like if Tim's actually in really bad shape, like how fast is Tim going to run when he's in good shape? I've got this theory that there's a top speed of sprint orienteering and that, oh, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 of the guys have that and that it, it's almost impossible to go any quicker than that because we're running over quite tough terrain when we do sprint orienteering. And it doesn't matter if you're a 1335k guy or a 1435k guy. You, you can't run this crazy top speed in all terrains. But I guess it depends on the type of course setting and the type of area that we race in. But there has to be some reason why somebody who's a bit slower or unfit can keep up with somebody like Yannick or Chris Jones. But I think it's quite interesting you know, when you look on the sprints, when it's like a really technical one or like an easy one, it's always the same winners, even though the speed is different among you guys. Yeah, that's true. Must be a map speed thing, running with a map. I don't know. Orienteering's a strange sport. Do you ever have, like, you have, like, a song on your head or something when you're running a competition like this while you're being annoyed on yourself, finding it hard to focus? I don't think I've had that in the sprint, but definitely in the forest. Yeah, I've had it. I don't. Yeah, again, I don't think I've ever had it in the sprint. And then I used to have it a lot as a kid in the forest or, like, all the time. And then suddenly went through a period of it not being there. And then this year it's actually been there. Probably a bit too much in the forest. So like a banger you have on your head? Um, it was actually Taylor Swift in uh, in Switz, in uh, in Czech. So, you know, a banger, but maybe not not the kind of banger that you might expect. Is it because you're a Swifty or is it just random? I don't know. It's been like discussed at work, like because we often play music on a on a Friday in the office. And there's a, there's a bit of like conflict and fighting about what we should play. Yeah, and Taylor Tay Tay's been uh, been discussed. So I don't know. We had a lot of the Barbie soundtrack actually as the team team vibe for for Czechia, and I'm actually quite glad that none of them made it into my head for for the sand sandstone. Interesting. And the following day, you had the sprint relay. How was the NCGB battle? Um, remember I, well, being the best at the walk relay. Did it did it change during the, the World Cup? Uh no. You guys looked so happy afterwards, actually, Tim. Is that right? Yeah, well, we were really, really stoked with our performance as a team. It was super exciting. Where did you finish? Seventh. We finished seventh um and eleventh if you take into account all of the double up teams. And our best, just to give some context, uh previous to that was twelfth. Um I think including, no, sorry, 12th, 12th nation. And I'm not sure what it was, including all of the double up nations. So we were very excited and in uh, the top six for quite a long time. So almost snuck onto the podium. Does that mean there's a chance top six in uh, in Edinburgh next year? Well, that's the dream. We've had this dream for quite a long time and the team's never really come together. 
with all four of us at the same place at the same time. And what uh, four of you? I guess that's been changing around a little bit. Um, it's been Lizzie in the past, uh, my sister Penelope on the women's side, and then on the men's side, uh, Tommy Hayes was going really well for a while. Uh, and now Joseph Lynch is really fast around here. So our team for Czech Republic was Penelope on first leg, Joe Lynch on second leg. I ran the third and my sister ran last. And we're not sure about how our team will look next year at Edinburgh, but uh, it could be very similar to that team in Czech Republic. Do we prefer running the second or the third leg? Uh, we discussed that a bit. Um, I guess it depends a little bit who we have on the first leg, but I like running the third. How about why, why do you like the third? Uh, I don't really know. Actually, second's good too, but third gives you a bit more time to see how the relay's going, um, see which teams you're around, and often there's a nice target, someone's back to chase from the gun rather than second leg, which can be a little bit more chaotic still if you're in a big group. Do you think as a good sprinter until you could gain more on a third leg when it's a bit more like spread out the relay? Probably depends a bit on the race. I mean, this race in Czech Republic was quite special. There were big gaps already after the first leg with the four-way forking and quite a long course. So I think here, having a fast runner on second leg was quite useful to get into like a breakaway situation. But often the third leg is where the big differences are made. And moving over to Great Britain, how did you place in the relay? Um, but the team I was in unfortunately got disqualified. I oh, think right. we missed have... that. Yeah, so I I think we finished. In you were just ahead front... of us. Yeah, so yeah, I think we were in just in front of Spain. Who ended up sixth? I think. Um, so I actually don't know where our second team finished, but um, behind uh, behind New Zealand, things happen, you know. Um, people it happened punch, to the so. to the Danish first team as well. So. Only one Probably. nation from uh, from this uh, podcast finished. Right, so it's it's all to play well. I mean, so we got a sympathy win if we beat New Zealand in at the European Champs. Then we're going for three from three. Still unclear if we'll actually have a team there, but fingers crossed. So, how Ralph, did you go to any doping controls after some of your races? Yes. Yeah, there was doping control after the sprint, and not after any of the other races. So yeah, they, I got randomly chosen as I as I won to be in doping control along with uh, who else? The Gustav, Yannick, so second and third, and they picked Matthias Kibbutz as well from the boys' side. So it's a four. Not sure whether that's because he was on the podium or because uh, he's a suspicious kind of guy. <laughs> I don't know. That's why Tim gets it every time, basically. You weren't in doping, were you, Tim? No, no, but I am on this whereabouts list. Yeah, I had my that first out of competition yeah. test. In Switzerland, that was quite an experience. And they took your blood as well in Switzerland. Yeah, I was a bit nervous about that. I fainted once when I was giving blood. So, oh, no. and then I felt like such an idiot because this, the time that I gave blood was before a shoulder surgery, and they had to take quite a lot. And I okay. fainted after the third huge tube of blood that he took out of my arm. And this guy who came for the doping control just took out like a mini, mini amount, and I was sitting there like, oh man. I don't want to faint, like trying not to look at the needle. And then it was over in about two seconds. So I felt like a bit of an idiot. Like be a man, be a man. Yeah. So when you're having a double control, like you said, you were four guys, you're basically waiting to piss in the cup 
for an hour or so. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah. And there's some great bands are going on. I mean, obviously you everyone's kind of run well, so everyone's in good spirits, but it's also kind of a weird experience. Everyone's sitting around drinking as much water as they can to do this thing that it like it's obviously really important for the sport, but it's not the most enjoyable experience. You'd much rather be, you know, hanging out with your friends or like going home or not being forced to drink like three liters of water right after you finished. But uh, at least after a sprint is easier than after a long distance. Yeah, but if you have won a World Cup, you must be be quite happy. You could just be drinking beer, right? To make it. Yeah, I think up. I think I think actually beer is probably a good idea because then the danger of drinking too much is that it's too dilute. And then, then you're totally in trouble, I think, Tim. Yeah, I think you're right. I think then you have to wait until you can do a non-dilute enough sample. So you'd be there for hours. And the, the drugs testers here had somehow got this reputation. I had some reputation when I turned up. They were like, oh, last time you were in check, you got drugs tested and it took you ages. You were here for like four hours or something. I was like... No, surely not. I surely can't have this reputation. And they're like, no, 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 we remember it was dark and like you were the last one in the whole arena waiting to do the business. So I felt bad for these. I, I want to try and impress these doping control people by going really quickly. Um, but I was having some problems and then had to do the ceremony. And then I actually went into the, the, the dude has to like follow you into the cubicle and he where it came in with me and I just, I couldn't produce anything, just nothing at all. So I felt so like, nah, sorry, mate, like nothing. So that was a bit embarrassing. I guess it's hard under, under pressure. Under pressure and you know, yeah. Just after a sprint I, race. So uh, I wasn't feeling too good. Yeah. So how, so how quickly did it go? Was it like 69 minutes instead of like four hours? Um, well, it was after the prize gears. It must have been like... Yeah, somewhere between two and three hours, I think. Yeah, that's not too bad. No, I wasn't last. I don't think I was last actually. So that was good. So I, 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 I yeah, I won. Didn't well, that's often part of it. Win. Like you're, you're in there, like you said, with four or five other guys and four or five other girls. And if it's only one or two testers, then it's quite important that you get in early to fill out all the paperwork. Otherwise, you really can be there for hours if you're the last one to do that. I think the worst thing is, is sometimes you can be ready to go and then they're not ready to watch you go. So then you've got to hold it in. And that's that, that's a terrible feeling as well. So you're in a potential risk of peeing yourself. Yeah. And so I guess if you're there for two or three hours, it would have been much nicer to celebrate with the team. But still, it's a good thing to have for the sport. Yep. And just like if you're in the yellow juice in the Tour de France, you're being tested every day. That must be quite annoying. Are they are they tested so often? I'm pretty sure the yellow jersey and the states winner and they have like someone they always pick out and then it's a bit random random as well. It used to be like that at, at least. So maybe you shouldn't win every World Cup if you don't want to hang around too much peeing with other men watching you. I can I'll split. We can split Europeans then between between the three of us, if that's all right. Sounds like a plan. You mentioned something else. Regarding the dope control thing, something uh, sitting on your knees, right? Well, I'd had quite a bit of caffeine before starting the race. And this is unusual for me. I sort of finished and I would much rather have sat down in the portaloo rather than uh, 
yeah, doing other things. But I couldn't because they have to watch me. And I'm sure that, I mean, I'm sure they would watch me, but I didn't feel like comfortable doing that, being like, excuse me, Mr. Check Doping Control Man, would you mind if I dropped the kids off at the pool? Um, yeah. So uh, and they let you- I, sort of had to, I had to hold that in while, you know, trying to drink a lot of water and, and uh, yeah, do it in the cup. Sounds harder than the race. Uh, struggling. Yeah. Because. You have the expression of the um, backside of the medal. That must be it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the yeah. What well, yeah. The behind the scene. This is the behind the scenes look at what it takes. Okay, moving on. Good. And then there was a middle and a long distance. And how was the battle between you two? I guess if you're both Britain specialist, it must have been a, a tough day in the forest. Uh, the best thing was when I started. I actually saw Tim on the way to the first control in the middle and I was like, oh, it's just going to be world champs all over again. And then realized actually Tim's like on this kind of second loop round. So yeah, I got to orient here on my own. Luckily. So you generally thought that he might have messed up the first control by 15 minutes. Yeah, more. I think it might have been like 30 to 40 minutes. I was like, well, could have happened. Anything's <laughs> <Maybe>. possible. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first opinion. time. I'd react to that, Tim, I guess. That's uh, yeah. offensive. Like, slightly offended, but like I said, it wouldn't be the first time. So uh, actually, I, like, I, I think it just, a 25 it, minute mistake that could have been the biggest mistake I've ever made in the World Cup, at least. I was no, just going to say, I would like to say that it was only just like a glimmer of, oh, this is the same as World Champs. It wasn't like a kind of, I've definitely caught him on the way to the first control 30 meters out of the start kite. <laughs> but you saw him in person. At the first yeah. control. No, well, I mean, it was, you ran the same like route on the side of the hill, basically. And so I, yeah, saw it. Oh, by the start. Yeah, I was on the way to yeah, finish yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it must have very, been... very cool terrain. I was saying to some of my teammates that it's one of the only terrains that I can still enjoy orienteering in, even if I'm a bit unfit. I was like, thinking about this. I think it, it looks, sorry, Magnus, it looks like really epic. Like it's really like when you're orienteering, it's a wonderful visual experience, but actually it's still pretty tough orienteering. Like the hills are steep to go up and down and on the side of the hills is difficult. So I'm not sure what my point is, but like maybe it's a good visual experience rather than the like perfect, like feel good experience. In your quads, it's a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was a pretty fun video thing from the long distance. I think it was, Casper Fossa running down to the second last control and he basically just like slided down this uh, slope like super steep punched the control SIR and like while doing it he just like knocked Gustav Bergman over because he happened to be in the way it was like contact sport right there and then it was like a big battle to get quickest to the last control and Casper was like falling over was, uh, maybe that is what it takes to to win World Cups being aggressive like that. I really like that video. It's funny because watching from the finish, um, you could see that Gustav was quite clearly coming in comfortably in his position and Casper was going to comfortably win. So it was all totally unnecessary. But for the two runners in the moment who were fighting for every second, it was like do or die to get to the last control first. So quite cool to see. Yeah, and it was also quite fun that all of this was captured with a FPV drone, which is quite new to our engineering. I really liked it. So 
it had different options of following the runners in the forest. So I didn't have to have a cameraman running behind people. Just need one pilot to to steer it. It's quite cool Did to see. Did you see the video of it crashing into Elena Roos? No, it's the video. Yeah, uh, when they came out onto the path, Elena Roos stopped, I think, to read the map or slipped on some mud or something, and it just crashed straight into the back of her. Had to go check it out. So the organizers are being sued by the Swiss team now, or might be. I heard there were some people saying that, or it was mentioned on the like. I think this was on LinkedIn actually. Shows, yeah, was the sound of the propellers, like whether they can try and reduce that to reduce the noise. But I don't know. I don't think that's maybe the biggest issue. I think like the footage is so cool. It is so awesome that it's worth you know, the sound of the rotor blades for, for some of the runners. I guess all our Londoners, you wouldn't even hear it. What, what I would say about that, that slide down though, is like, it does show the like, that like Casper to Casper, all the every second matter. And that's really cool. Like, no wonder he's like so good. Cause I got to that top bit, had looked at that slope and went, that's very dangerous. I'm going to go a little bit around to save a little bit. And he's just like, not even thinking about it. Full send. And it reminds me of, I think it was said the world, like a walk long some years ago. And Daniel Hoodman was like looking at Olaf Lundanez and he looked like he would like rather die basically than not win. And he was like, and that's when he like realized that there was no way he was going to win based on the like look in his eye. So maybe that's what we need to do boys to get more successful in the forest is just take less care of our bodies. Just sounds like it. I stood at the top of that slope for about 10 seconds trying to decide a line to take. It, seemed it was like much Casper... steeper than it looked in the video, and it looked steep in the video. So It, it seems like Casper didn't even like had any thoughts of like, how should I do this? It was just like, yeah, just going to penguin this, this cliff, basically. But I heard, I don't know if it's 100% true, but like um, Olaf had this thing as 50-50 when he goes down a slope or through some tricky stuff. That 50% chance of a good time or 50% chance of a hospital. And mostly it will go, it will go well. So like having the well, mindset. Then, I mean, like, then it's not 50-50 if it's mostly going well. Yeah, but like the mindset of like, that's quite a big of risk of me ending up in the hospital, but I'm going to try anyway. Free time going downhill, isn't it? Like you don't have to put any effort in. You just yeah, turn sure. your legs over. Do you think the people on the walk long distance running almost 1,500 meters down, they had this? It felt the same. Like, well, no apparently Casper can even like walk downstairs the next day. So yeah, probably. Like backwards? Uh, like, at all. I don't know. I don't think he walks downstairs backwards normally, but you'd, we would have to ask him. Yeah, it would be interesting to know. I think what it just it? takes one or two serious injuries or falls before you totally lose that mental capability of launching yourself off cliffs. I had a pretty bad fall in the world champs in 2015 where I dislocated my shoulder. And since then I've never been able to run down the hill the steep hills the same as I could before that injury. I don't know if you've had something similar. Yeah. I've hurt, I've hurt my ankles. So I think I'm a bit worried about them on some of these slopes. Sound a bit less dramatic than a shoulder. Did well, ever okay, what's, your, what's your, what's your injury then Magnus? Why can't you run downhill so fast? Sometimes I have Is it because you don't tummy? have any hills in Denmark? We're being funny now. I've just never been fast in the forest, so I don't know like how it feels like. I mean, there's no excuse not to be fast downhill. If you know you're going to the bottom, like, it's not fitness, is it? 
must be all in your head. Yeah, unless the control is on the slope on the way to the bottom. Yeah. No, I did nearly die like on the, in that sandstone. I kind of like tripped on a halfway, like halfway down one of these big ones, lost control and basically had no control until I got to the bottom. And I was like, thank God that went all right. I guess that rounds up the, the World Cup. And I guess the score between Ralph and Tim from that was um, three wins to Ralph and one to Tim. And that reminds me of the Orange Airport at Berlin of our leaderboard. I don't know if you have updated it. I put in the results, but once I saw that it was three to Ralph and one to me, I didn't want to spend any time calculating the scores. So I'm going to skip it and wait and hope I do better at European champs. I'm just a little bit worried because I remember us being pretty close to each other and I'm hoping you're getting some minus points. So while I'm not competing, I can still not be last. Have we thought of a punishment for the person who finishes last year? There have been a few fun ideas floating around in our group chat, but we'll have to see. Nothing's been finalized. We'll have to have a brainstorming session at um, some gathering or training camp in the future. The one thing I had thought of, which is fractionally topical, is um, I don't know if you guys play Fantasy Premier League, but it's the Fantasy Premier League deadline tonight. You've got to sort your team out. And would you play like an orienteering version, Fantasy Premier League, if you had to, I don't know, pick... 10 runners for European champs, say, with like a budget, a bit like the Tour de France has a kind of, oh, you set your team and you leave them for competition and see who would win. Have you seen this Finnish version for Eukula, uh, Eukula manager? Uh, maybe. I think it's I all think in there's one in Sw- I think there's one in Switzerland, yeah, as well. But maybe an international one would get some interest. Is that something you guys could code? Well, more like, is the sport big enough? I guess Eukula is pretty big, but like more international or ensuring with world champs and world cups, would it attract enough people? Could you do it with world ranking points? Each person has a certain amount of world ranking points that they can use. So you select your runners with that. I think you'd get like maybe 200 people playing for European champs. I don't know. Just, I think, I mean, I don't think you're going to make any money on the project, but maybe it'd be a little bit of fun. Yeah, definitely. I haven't really thought about it, but it could be fun to have an app where you could. Like somehow World of O on an app and then you have all the stats on people and you you can buy them. Play. Yeah, you can buy them and play this game. The paid function can be to have several better runners in your group, but you have to pay for it. Otherwise, you have to take a bunch of lower ranked runners. Like me. Now you're being mean to yourself, Magnus. You're the been... exact kind of person that you'd put or you'd want to put on one of these lists. Got a low world or a high world ranking, but has the potential to smash a World Cup. You just need to go to World Cup at first. You're the dark um, horse. I'm aiming for the European Gems, so let's see if it will happen this year. We'll do some good training in August, get you in shape. Yeah, things are looking promising, so um, just need to stay on track. Good. Good. I see a bullet point on your list there. Brits are so shit in the forest. Would you elaborate Uh, on that? That's there because... I feel like whenever the Brits run well in the sprint, I or whoever's getting interviewed get asks gets asked, why are Brits so good at sprint orienteering? And I was thinking, actually, the question is not why are Brits good at sprint. The, the insinuation is Brits are terrible in the forest, right? No, none of the other nations get asked, why are you so good in the forest, but terrible in the sprint, right? So, and I was thinking about maybe the answer is 
we never run in terrain which looks like Great Britain. We spend all our time at World Cups in Scandinavia, which doesn't look like Britain, or in the Alps, which doesn't look like Britain, or somewhere else. And maybe if there was actually a World Cup in Britain or New Zealand, maybe you'd find out that some of the other countries aren't actually that bad at orienteering. We just happen well, to... Well, you saw that a bit at your home world champs in Scotland. Yeah. You guys did really well there. Yeah. The Kiwis did quite well there as well. Similar forest to what we have back home. Yeah. Yeah. What about so Estonia? Yeah. Was that anywhere near Estonia? Middle distance there? Too green for me. I didn't run the middle. Yeah, bit too, bit too green for Britain and mapping styles a bit different. So yeah, that was why it was hard. You reckon there's anywhere else than um, Great Britain or New Zealand that got similar terrains? Bits of Latvia, I think, have looked a bit British where I've been. I haven't been Maybe. to your June maps in Denmark, but they look on paper quite similar to some of the stuff we have back home. Yeah. It's quite fun terrain, I would say. We had junior world champs there in 2010, if I remember correctly. You remember correctly. Maybe you were... Were you there, Ralph? I might have been there. So I ran all right. It was good. Did you do better in the forest and the sprint? At that I did do better in the forest and the sprint. Both times. Point proven. Point proven. I'm a forest orienteer. Always have been, always will be. So Every time I call you a sprint specialist, it's also like... I'm adding it to a long list and I will punish you for it later. I'll put a baked bean in your in your dinner secretly for every time it's been mentioned. Yeah, you know I'm going to discover the beans in my dinner. Although I've been close to eating it. It's the backstory for the listeners. Magnus hates beans. Ralph loves beans. Beans have been placed in Magnus's belongings over the last year or two. And it's great. It seems like there's a lot of British guys eating a lot of toasted baked beans and I don't really get the fuss about it. It's like, why is it so good compared to everything else you can eat? Like, I can tell that in Uganda in January as well, for one month straight, Ralph was having baked beans every morning. Like, every morning. It's just so rooted in the Brits, it seems like. Just don't really get it. So now it's more like become a principle for me to leave it out of my diet. You guys do have some pretty terrible cuisine. Yeah, who, me, me or Magnus? Uh, don't know so much about Danish cuisine, but <laughs> and not to mention Ralphie will also have tea every morning and not have coffee a single time. Like I really find it hard to to understand, but uh, I guess there's just some cultural differences. L- lots of people like tea. It's fine. Tea is a normal thing to have, and no coffee, just tea. Just, just tea. I just want my tea and my beans. Ah, maybe it's all right, but um, I'm not voluntarily putting it in my in my food. That's for sure. I would like. If you want to make Magnus's day, baked bean company. You want to get sponsored by them? Yeah. 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 Right to Heinz. Friendship would be over. You'll get a shipment to your house once a week. <laughs> that would be enough for me to move up. And That's a great idea. Can you send me your address, Magnus? No, not getting my address. Anonymous beans. You're always bullying me about beans and we don't have any hills in Denmark. Because my response is uh, you're a sprint specialist. I guess we <laughs> kind of even out. We, we need to find something neutral. to get tin for. Yeah. Sandbagging. Yeah. Rowing flip-flops all the time. Constantly wearing shorts. Being a solar panel. 
It's quite annoying because I remember in Flagstaff, it was like snow outside every day. I would like do quite a big of an effort to get ready. Have like three layers on. I need dry clothes after training. Same with just like pack nothing, just have shorts and like basically running shirtless. And you'd be like half annoyed that uh, he has to wait on me. And I would be like, why are you just rushing through? And it's not like it, it was any problem for him. It's just like, no, it was always you that was cold at the end of the session. I was fine. Yes, you just spilled different. Spilled different. Right, on that, that note, positive note, maybe that's time to end today's episode. So thanks very much, listeners, for joining us on this quite quite nerdy adventure, but hopefully it's been interesting. And we'll see you in the future two weeks maybe is the goal, but we'll see what happens with uh, with life. So, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.